So we'll jump in today's scripture reading from Luke 5, 15 to 16. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That is the word of the Lord. You know, you have a great reading voice. I'm sorry I gave you a small passage. Should have given, you were talking about, I gave him a tiny little passage to read with his, his, good, uh, his good voice up here. Um, but good morning. Um, my name's Nate, if I don't know you, but it's really an honor to be able to teach from God's Word any Sunday. And I think especially for me, over this pandemic, I didn't get to guest preach very often, so it feels special and like an honor and a privilege to get to stand up here and talk about Jesus this morning. So I'm really grateful to be able to be here and to see a bunch of friends who I haven't, see a couple I haven't seen um, in a long time. So thanks for having me. Really glad to be here. Would you join me and pray one more time as we get started? God, you are good. God, thank you that we can be here together in this space. And thank you for those who will watch now or watch later who are in this community or watching from afar. God, we love you. We're grateful for your love and your care. And I just ask this morning that as we look at this life of Jesus, especially from Luke, God, that you would use these words and these notes that I have laid out to encourage us, to challenge us, to inspire us. That I ask that whatever we're going through this morning, God, that we could just take a breath and be in your presence and know your presence and let you speak to us, God. So would you open our ears, open our eyes to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning our title is The Way of Jesus, Action and Contemplation. Action and Contemplation. Kind of together and back and forth in this life of Jesus. And there's a ton of ways you could look at the life of Jesus and try to summarize it in a couple sentences. And theologians have done that for years better than me. But I think one way to look at the life of Jesus that we can read in these Gospels, four different accounts, is action or ministry, like doing God's work, doing the mission, and then contemplation. Going back, resting with God, praying by yourself. And then action, going to act for God with courage and bravery out in the world, and then contemplation, stopping, praying by yourself, letting God renew you, back and forth, back and forth. So this morning, I'm going to go back and forth, like back and forth, back and forth, talking about action and contemplation in the life of Jesus, and then hopefully helping us to wrestle with what does that look like in my life, in this time, in this space, in this culture, how can I be a person of action and contemplation in this way of Jesus? And as we look, we're going to look at a lot of Luke passages this morning, but we just see this pop up over and over and over again, action and contemplation. And one of the things that I enjoyed about this strange season of life that we've had as I was out fewer nights of the week than I've been in my whole life or adult life, was I got to read more. And I've, I've loved reading the Gospels for years, but I, I, I incorporated reading some lives of kind of old Christians, like first century, second century, third century, medieval times, people who followed Jesus and some of the saints like Francis, Ignatius. And one thing I really see in their life is this same pattern of Jesus, 
of going out in the world, like listening to God and saying, I'm going to go do things for God. I'm going to, I'm going to go and do this ministry. I'm going, to, I'm going to go out and do it with courage. And then I'm going to go out with the same intensity and say, I'm going to go and sit alone, alone with the Father and be renewed and learn to be a contemplative, to, to, to pray and to sit and to have silence and solitude and then to go back out into action. You see this in the lives of these, these saints and these stories which, which inspire me and they were inspired by Jesus. So let's talk about action first. We're going to look at Luke chapter 4, 14 to 21. And some of these will be on the, um, the slides. Most of them, if you want to read them in your Bibles or your phones, um, however you read it, will be mostly in Luke. So if you want to stick in Luke, you can probably try to follow along. But Luke 4, 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm just going to end there. Now, that, that's a whole sermon in and of itself, but I wanted to share that to, just to share, Jesus had a mission on earth, amen? He had a mission, a calling, and he said, I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to teach the good news. I'm going to teach the kingdom of God. That's what I'm here for, and I'm going to set the oppressed free. That's why I'm here, so I'm going to do it. And he had this sense from the scriptures, from his father, I have a mission, and I'm going to be about it while I am on this earth. And I'm going to say this, this weighty theological statement, and that is Jesus did stuff. Amen? Like, Jesus did stuff. He didn't just read about stuff, right? He didn't just think about stuff. He went out and did things in the world connected to his mission that his father had given him. He went out and he did stuff every day that's recorded. And we have a few slides here just thinking about what, what did Jesus do practically. And here are a few of the things, right? Jesus, he taught people. So part of his mission was he was a teacher-preacher. So he proclaimed the kingdom of God. He proclaimed the good news. He also discipled a, a pretty fairly small group of people. He discipled people. He, he went out and he healed people all over. Healed people as he, as he came and went. He also fed people on occasion when they were hungry. He also ate with people a lot, didn't he? He went in and interacted and he, and he ate with people, which, which was special in his society and his culture. He also interacted with a lot of people he really wasn't supposed to. Whether that was inviting children in, sitting with a woman at a well, sitting with someone who was not a Jew, sitting with someone who would be labeled a sinner in his society, a tax collector or a prostitute or a sinner. He, he was constantly making space to be with people that he, he really wasn't supposed to be, to, to be with as a good, you know, young Jewish man rabbi. Other thing he did, which we may find simple, but he walked a lot, right? If you read the Gospels, he, he's always going, he's walking and going somewhere. He's not just sitting at home. He's like, now we're going to walk over here and do this. And on the journey, we're going to meet people and things are going to happen right? It was this, this adventure he was on, walking all over the place. So this life of action, and then also this life of, of contemplation, 
And contemplation might bring up different ideas for you as you hear that word, depending on who you are and your history and what you've read. So I made up a definition. I don't know if you're allowed to do that, but I decided for this sermon, I made up a definition of what I'm trying to mean by contemplation in the life of Jesus. Habitually, intentionally spending time alone with our Abba Father, meditating on who God is so that we can be renewed and restored and reminded of God's boundless love and care for us. Does that sound okay? But this idea of like, you know, making it a habit intentionally, not just helping it'll happen, but of sitting in the Father's presence, maybe not even asking for too much, but of sitting in God's presence and letting God renew us, restore us, remind us of who we are, remind us of who God is. You know, Jesus would have read the Psalms. Him and his disciples would have read the Psalms probably daily throughout the day. And there's a Psalm of David, Psalm 145, I want to read to you, just the first few verses. David was someone who was a man of action, right? And a man of of contemplation with God. David wrote this, Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall laud your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. I'm going to read just verse 5 again. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. I will stop, I will process, I will reflect, I will sit and meditate, contemplate who God is and all God's amazing works. So then this, this verse that we was read earlier, Luke 5, 15 to 16, I think is a great combination of these themes. Luke 5, starting in 15, But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. So it's implied here. He is teaching. Crowds are coming. He is healing. And then verse 16. But he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. There's another passage that says Jesus' disciples were telling Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Like there was a big, he was teaching, everyone was there, and then they're like, everyone's looking for you. And he says, yeah, but it's my time to go away, and then we're going to go somewhere else. I'm going to read a few verses more about contemplation. I'm going to riff through Luke, if you want to follow follow along. Luke 6, 12. Now during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. Luke 9, 18. Once when Jesus was praying alone, with only the disciples near him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Luke 9, 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Luke 22, 39 to 42. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, And the disciples followed him. And when he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed. I want to reiterate 
that this is not some obscure idea I found in some half a verse of Philemon that I'm now going to like bring to, right, and be like, no, there's this little idea, and I'm going to push the verse to mean this, and it really is important. No, this is something that is in the life of Jesus over and over and over again. He left to the mountain to be by himself with the Father. And since this time of Jesus, people who have tried to follow Jesus with their life have tried to make a habit of, what does it look like in my life, my, my culture, my space where I live, to, to get away completely, to, to be alone with the Father in some way. Now, here, the thing is, when, when you hear somebody, and you've probably heard other sermons on this topic, right? Probably in your life, if you've been someone who goes to church, you've, you've heard someone say this and read these verses um, and you can hear this, and one thing you can think is, oh, yeah, I should do that more, I'm not good at that, I don't like that, but I, I feel bad now, I should do it, right? Or you can think, oh, yeah, I love that, I haven't done it in a while, like, I should probably do that. Or you might have all these different, like, things in your head of, like, ah, I'm a bad Christian, or, like, oh, I, you know what, that's hard for me, or, oh, yeah, I love that, I'm going to do it some more. I don't know what your, th- like, how that strikes you in your head, but I'm wondering if we can think of it this way. And there's a couple slides here to go with this, is that we need to be able to hear God's voice tell us that we are loved just the way we are, so that we can stop striving and comparing and stressing about all of it. So a life, on the next slide, so a life of contemplation is not a thing to do to earn God's love, but a way to experience God's love, a way to remain aware of God's love a way to remind us that we already have our significance in our loving Father God. The the reality is that even those of us who might have a healthy theology of grace and love and forgiveness, we still go out in the world every day, especially if we're trying to be people of action in the world, to do good things for God in the world. And we go out and we sometimes get our butt kicked. Amen? And and there's failure and there's conflict, and there's stress, and there's anxiety, and there's falling down on our face, and there is wishing the thing we tried would have worked out differently. Amen? And if we are not connected to this God on on a regular basis, we can just get so wound up and frustrated and tired um, and defeated. So, we need contemplation. Now let's go back and talk about action for a couple minutes. Um, Luke 9, 1 through 6. Jesus sends his disciples out into action. Then Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. So Jesus did stuff, and then he sent his disciples, you go do the same things. Go out, preach, teach, and while you're doing that, heal, right? Help people in practical ways as well. Go and do that. So the disciples went out and did that. And then we have these early church writings of Paul And Paul is this master writer, teacher, who explains how, so now in the body of Christ, you're all different. 
but you're all a part of this body and you all have a role to play. You all have something to do. And you might be a head and you might be an elbow and you might be a foot and you might want to be like somebody else, but like we, we need all of us in this body. You all have a role to play in what God is doing. You all have a role to play in the kingdom coming and God's news spreading, all of you. So for me, as this was the, heart, the part of the, the message where like I wrestled over how to say this because if I'm calling you to action, the reality is each one of you is going to come into action differently. Amen? Every person, and I know a chunk of you, every person in here has different skills, talents, gifts, abilities, resources given to you from God. You might be a gifted musician. You might be an evangelist. You might have incredible courage. You might have incredible organizing ability. You might have an incredible ability to meet anyone and, and share God's love with them you know, through conversation. You might be a person of incredible hospitality who can love everyone around you and invite people to stay with you and, and give compassion to other people. You might be someone who sees the evil in the world and, and you want to stop it on behalf of God and you want to stop the injustice and you know how to do it and you want to go and do it. There's all these different ways, but I want to invite you to think about this life of action and to consider with your particular gifts and resources and who you are, what is God nudging you into? What is the Spirit wooing you into? What is God asking you to do out in the world based on who you are and how God made you? I want to read a, a quote from Howard Thurman. He is one of my absolute favorite kind of theologian writers in the spiritual life. And he wrote, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. So when God kindles something in you, there's some spark in you that is deep inside you and it's a good thing, like, what, can we listen to that nudge? Can we, can we listen to that spark that God puts inside us? But going back and forth. Some of us work so hard to do good things that we burn ourselves out. Some of us try so hard and we don't make space to be renewed. We, we don't make space for contemplation. Growing up, my favorite verse was Colossians 3.23. And I can like vividly remember being like 12, 15 and reading that verse over and over again. Like, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not as to men. And I was like, I'm going to work harder than everybody. And I'm going to get more A's than everybody. And I'm going to read the Bible more than everybody. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all the, the right things for Jesus more than everybody. Because <laughs> Colossians 3.23, you know, and like I'm just, and, and I, I look back at that version of me and I just want to give me a hug, you know, be like, dude, chill out for a second. Yes, serve God. Like, yes, but, you know, also recognize you're an Enneagram 3 who, like, has this compulsive need to achieve. So you, you also need to chill out sometimes and maybe go to a therapist right about now and, and, like, let God heal you and renew you while you're trying to do all the good things that you really want to do with your life. Martin Luther King Jr. has a quote, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. So while we are acting in the world and we sometimes fall on our face, that is a part of our lives, is pain, 
is struggle, is failure. But can we never give in to that because this God who made us, this God who sent Jesus on this mission, is God and is with us. So it's not over and the failure is not permanent. So can we accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope? So I'm going to talk for a few minutes a little more practically about, so what does it look like if we're out acting in the world, however it is that God is calling us to, however God is wooing us, what does it look like to live like a contemplative? I'm going to share a few things that, that help me, and I am a, very much a wannabe, trying to be stumbling forward contemplative person, learning day by day. But I'm going to share a few things, and, and maybe that'll kind of spur something in you. One of the things over this pandemic I really started to enjoy doing is taking long walks with God. I have never done that. And actually, one of my dear friends um, in the faith, a mentor of mine, has done that his whole life and always gets me to walk with him when I visit him. And it drives me crazy because I want to sit in a coffee shop and talk. And he wants to like walk and pray and talk forever. But I started walking like a year ago. And something about walking and I see the trees and I hear birds that God made, right? And I see trees that God made. And, and I walk by myself in the quiet and I can just start to, to simmer down and start to, to kind of walk with God and breathe with God um, and let God renew me. And then I can walk back home and kind of enter back into the work. But that's become a sacred thing for me. Also, on, on occasion, I like to journal. And I know for a lot of, I say that because I know for a lot of people, like getting away with, a, with some sort of prayer journal and writing out things to God is this way of being alone and connecting to God's spirit in, in silence and solitude. But for some of you, that might not be something that, that works for you, and that's okay. I, w I was in a class recently with some really wise um, older people leading it, and one of them said, you know, I've always felt guilty about not journaling until a friend of mine said, well, Jesus didn't journal, so you shouldn't feel bad. And I was like, I like that. Jesus didn't journal, so I'm not going to feel bad either. But for some of you, journaling is epic. One of the things that I also started doing um, over, over the break was, you know, like maybe some of you, they, I had a lot of people in my house, like five people on Zoom in my household for a long period of time. And, and I was used to being able to like escape to my backyard or work at home for a little while and have space to think and pray. And then there was like two teens and a preteen on Zoom classes trying to figure it out and my wife working in, in my bedroom in a you know, makeshift office. And I was like trying to figure out how to work at home and I found that if I go to the backyard, I have a shed on the right, kind of like on the right side, like a broken down, weird little building on the right side of my backyard. And if I go around the side, there, there's a space where no one can see me from the back door. And there's a chair. And I can go and I put on earbuds and I put on ocean music. Because to me, the ocean is a space of nature that reminds me of God. Like, like to me, the ocean reminds me of the, like the vast... Splend thinking about Psalms, like this, this vast majesty of God. The ocean does that for me. So if I can't go to the ocean, I put ocean sounds on so I can't hear anybody on my little earbuds. And I hide in the corner and I would just sit in God's presence or pray or read a psalm or do a prayer of examine. And I didn't think much of it until I realized that the people later would not know where I was. So I would later come back in the house like for lunch. And they'd be like, where were you? We needed to ask you about the thing. I was like, what? I don't know. I was a... I was here, and I thought it was, so I went like a couple months with no one knowing where I would just disappear to, and no one could ask me a, a question about math homework or, or why their Zoom was slow or whatever, but I could just be alone. So I don't know how you 
get to that space of being alone with God. It might be your backyard, it might be the beach, it might be a mountain, it might, it might be hiking, it might be mountain biking, I, I don't know. But we need that space alone with God on a regular basis to let God renew us. So, contemplation, but then here's the other danger, and I'm wrapping up in a couple minutes here, is we can learn to be a contemplative, but never do anything. And just be like, I just want to go on prayer retreats forever. And so, to be honest, sometimes I can get like that. Like, if I could just go on a prayer retreat, like, all the time, like, I, I would just be a happy man. I'm introverted, like, that's, that's, that's natural for me. I want to read a, a prayer that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote, and it's going to be on the screen, about this danger of contemplating or praying and then never acting. And his prayer says, O oh God, we thank thee for thy church, founded upon thy word, that challenges us to do more than sing and pray, but to go out and work as though the very answer to our prayers depended on us and not upon thee. Help us to realize that man was created to shine like the stars and live on through all eternity. Keep us, we pray, in perfect peace. Help us to walk together, pray together, sing together, and live together until that day when all God's children, black, white, red, and yellow, will rejoice in one common band of humanity in the kingdom of our Lord and of our God, we pray Amen. So he reminds us there's this way we can get into prayer, and, and I kind of call this our uh, thoughts and prayers are with you vibe. Sometimes we hear things wrong in the world, and, and, the, and there is a time when all we can do is say, man, my thoughts and prayers are with you. Sometimes that, that is all we can do. But sometimes we hear about people who don't know God's love or we have a neighbor, or we have a friend, or we have a family member hurting, or we see something going on in the world that is not what God wants, and we can have an impulse to say, ah, my thoughts and prayers are with you, right? It's like, you type it real quick, thoughts and prayers are with you, that's all I can, I'm going to say a quick prayer, you know, and then move on. But what if sometimes, when you have that moment, God is calling us to be the answer to the prayer? That God is calling us, when something is stirred within us, to say more than my thoughts and prayers are with you, but to start praying, but then to say, okay, God, you've given me power, resources, talents, skills, a unique personality. What are you calling me to do as I see something in the world, as I see a person in the world, God, who needs you, who needs your love, who needs your care, who needs your compassion, your empathy, your guidance, God, your love, God. I'm going to read one more prayer. It's funny, I wrote this whole sermon and then I found the book I was looking for before I wrote the sermon. And there's a book that I kind of forgot about and found on my shelf called Becoming the Answer to Our Prayers, Prayers for Ordinary Radicals. And the whole book is on this idea of how do we pray and realize that sometimes God is calling us to be the answer to our prayers. And I'm going to read a little quote and then I'll close in a second. Some will say, it's absurd to assert that we are the answer to our prayers, because of course God is the only answer to prayer. But that's the beautiful mystery. We have a God who chooses to need us. We have a God who doesn't want to change the world without us. We have a God who longs to cooperate with us and to allow us to flail and flounder 
and who promises to make up for our shortcomings, but nonetheless wants us. It's the story of our faith. Certainly nothing hinges on our own ingenuity or our own strength. Quite the opposite. God works through our weaknesses. So I'm going to read that little section of Jesus. And I'd like you just to, if you could receive this verse prayerfully, uh, prayerfully with contemplation. Luke 5, 15. But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. He acted. But he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. So may our lives include a rhythm of going into the world with action, using our gifts, our talents to spread God's love, to repair what's broken, to join in God's work in the world. And may our lives include a rhythm of making space to be alone with our loving, compassionate, kind Abba Father. Amen? Amen. At this time, we're going to move into a time of worship and a time of communion in the service. As it is written about the Lord's Supper in Mark 14, as they were eating, he took bread. After blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Um, In a moment, Stephanie has some extra communion supplies. If you need one, you can look over there, give her a wave and she'll make sure you get this. But go ahead and Take this whenever you are ready as we start worship. I'm going to say a prayer for us to begin to sing. God, help us to be followers of Jesus who learn to have rhythms of action and rhythms of contemplation kind of woven into the fabric of our lives. And as we get ready to partake of communion, God, we are grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus. We are grateful for your love poured out on us, God, and we honor and say thank you uh, for Jesus this morning. Amen.